when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, Internet? It is Monday or Tuesday. I actually don't know when this will go out, either May 17th or May 18th. You're listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 397. I'm your host, Austin Walker. I'm joined by producer extraordinaire Ricardo Contreras. Uh, Hi. And also by Patrick Klepik. Hello. Uh, Rob Zachney. Good morning. Gita Jackson. Hello. And uh, Motherboard's Emmanuel Myberg is joining us today. We let him on? Yeah, Yeah, I'm here. Hi. Let this guy in. <laughs> uh, it's a big cast today. I uh, believe it or not, I did not corral everyone here so that they could hear me complain about the bad lighting in Mass Effect Legendary Edition. I know. <laughs> but if you want to spend ten minutes starting things off, feel free to. I have to, some to... screenshots I could pass around <laughs> about how Eden Prime looks worse now. Uh, but I think we should oh, no. talk about, huh? Oh no. <laughs> Eden, oh, oh not no. Eden Prime. Yeah. Not Eden Prime. I, I have actually heard that the character creator is worse in Legacy than it is in the original Mass Effect. Well, that's a bummer. That's yeah. I've only watched a bunch of footage of gameplay. I've not actually dug in. So listen, maybe it would run so well on my machine that I'd be like, I don't care that the lighting is wrong. <laughs> um in any case, we are instead here to talk about uh, what looks like a case of corporate overreach, uh, a breach of editorial independence, um, uh, and examples of that done in very troubling and uh, in- inhumane circumstances, silencing uh, a group of people who were using their platform in what I think is a pretty unimpeachable way um, to advocate for care and justice. Um, and I think that's something that basically everyone who touches the work here at Waypoint wants to weigh in on. So and has a perspective on. And so I felt like that seemed right to kind of have um, as many people here as possible. Uh, so thank you again to, to Emmanuel and Gita for being here. Rob, thank you for kind of corralling everybody this morning and finding reaching out. Uh, I think that's wise. Um, so I, I, let me just give without going beat by beat. Let me give. Historical context of, of at least the recent history um, uh, of how we got to IGN pulling down an article, putting up a bullshit statement, um, which we'll get into as we as we continue. Unrelated um, to video games, which is normally the reason things are being <laughs> taken down I, or argued about. Yes. Um, so over the last month uh, in, in Islam, it has been Ramadan, which is a holy month. Uh, it is a month of fasting and prayer uh, and community. Um, uh, and, uh, during Ramadan, a number of new Israeli, uh, uh, policies, um, uh, kind of changed a, a number of key, key things in, uh, Palestine, in East Jerusalem. Um, they blocked Palestinians from praying at Damascus Gate, which is an important, uh, location, uh, in, in Islam. And it's just a place where people went to pray a, as a community during a holy month. 
um, there was uh, a green lighting, a kind of judicial green lighting of eviction of Palestinian families in the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood of East Jerusalem, which is part of a larger effort uh, of driving Palestinians uh, out of East Jerusalem um, and and kind of taking that that part of the city over, and also part of a larger project across the West Bank to settle Palestine. Uh, and settle Palestinian land in kind of a checkerboard-like fashion, which kind of removes geographical continuity, communal continuity, um, and and it provides cover for police and military forces to expand into the West Bank under the supposed justification of needing to, quote-unquote, protect Israeli settlers there. And on top of that, uh, we have seen video, we've heard accounts uh, of a great deal of both state and civilian violence. Um, against Palestinian civilians, including a police raid inside of the Al-Aqsa Mosque uh, while Palestinians were praying on an especially holy night of Ramadan. If you hear me like laugh, it's because the absurdity of the inhumanity of it, the, inserv- the absurdity of the cruelty of it is, is that like terrible that it is hard to say those words without the sort of frustration boiling into my voice does this when I'm fucking mad. Um... <laughs> From there, we have seen a back-and-forth exchange of rockets between Hamas and the IDF, and has been the case for decades now. That exchange is disproportionate in terms of technological level, civilian death tolls, outright power. Um, that, that disproportionality echoes the asymmetry of the entire you know, Israeli-Palestinian situation, in which Palestinians are at best third-class citizens living in an apartheid state. And at worst are living in what has been described as the world's largest open air prison, left without access to or control of key infrastructure, basic needs like food, clean water, medical care, um, and to say nothing of like non-essentials like the internet, uh, which it's even hard to call a non-essential increasingly, especially when you talk about the tools necessary to fight for justice and show people what the situation is. Um, uh, I guess on top of this, we've also now seen uh, the Israeli state, uh, the the state of Israel, target a building that housed uh, international journalists um, from places like Al Jazeera and and the Associated Press. Um, And unlike some past moments uh, in this, unlike, you know, 2014 was probably the last big uh, moment uh, in, in, in the kind of situation. Not again, not to say this isn't ongoing, not to say that the the settlement project in Israel is not already always a settlement project it is settler colonialism but but the last big spike of violence like this i think there was a different response and i feel like there's been a shift kind of especially in our corner of the world uh to how this has been received we've seen more people speaking up um and and more people calling a spade a spade um seeing seeing apartheid conditions and calling them that um and and responding in a way that's like how do we help and i think from there is is kind of how we can start to draw the line patrick can you help connect that situation to why we are talking about this on a video game podcast today outside of again voicing solidarity um with people everywhere who suffer under uh, oppression and injustice but how did this end up becoming a not becoming a video game how is one small part of the quilt of this story now about ign and game informer uh yeah i mean i I think there is a direct connection between um you know on on friday you know an outlet like kotaku uh you know publishing an article in which they you know call for uh, folks to uh pretty and pretty sort of 
not both sidesy, but like pretty plain language, you know, uh, you know, about uh, with a bunch of Palestinian charities that is, I think, connected to, you know, uh, a lot of the reaction in games press and like larger like world uh, about like Black Lives Matter. And I think there's like a there's a movement from there to this and folks wanting to use their platforms to um, to speak to to issues that mean a lot to both their audience and to their employees. And anyway, so like the, the nuts and bolts of what happens is on on Friday uh, Kata- or, uh, IGN writes a writes an article uh, in which uh, they they have these uh, these charity links. They also make the, I think, in some ways a bolder step of uh, putting the Palestinian flag like like in their graphics. Um, I forget where it appeared. Was it like in the browser icon or like at the top of their page? But um, that's like a meaningful graphical change that I that I I thought was pretty notable. Um, uh, in the oh, as Rob points out, in the in the header, um, and the, the reason I speak speak with some question is because all of this stuff has since been taken down, and so you know, drawing somewhat from memory and web archive over over the course of this, and so this goes up on IGN. It was you know follows uh, in response from a number of uh, folks involved in games, both in press and game development. You know, sort of like asking for folks with large platforms to take a position to do something in response to the escalation that was was occurring in front of our eyes. And, you know, I think it was really a call to a, you know, big platforms like 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 IGN and, and places like that, if not necessarily named. Um, and that, you know, on Saturday, uh, Game Informer uh, followed with a piece that was very similar. Um, GameSpot uh, put up a piece as well that was very similar, um, all in the tone of like, hey, look what's happening to the Palestinians. Here's a link to a bunch of charities. Um, the language of which, you know, differs a bit between the three articles, but all kind of like in the in the same direction. Um, then uh, sort of at the on Friday evening, I believe, is when IGN Israel, um, which I think also for the first time, a lot of people realized there was an IGN Israel. Um, and what you should know is that there are like IGN insert all over the world. It's like a huge part of how the company makes money is by having all these different like affiliate contracts um that, that operate under the IGN umbrella and they've had different uh uh you know ones like this in the past but like that's a huge like there's an IGN Brazil like it's it's all over the place um and they put up on their Instagram and then on their uh Facebook page a, a statement that said uh dear readers uh we too were amazed to discover this morning misleading and confusing donation campaign found on the American website IGN it is important for us to emphasize that we condemn this action and did not take part in it or were aware of it. Uh, this is not our way. We at IGN Israel support the state of Israel, obviously, and support IDF soldiers who do everything to keep us all uh, in these tough days. Uh, we work in every possible, every way possible to remove this misleading and offensive content from the American edition, which does not represent our views. Um, and then not too long after, um, you know, uh, about a day later, uh, the tweet d- disappeared from IGN's website. The article disappeared from IGN's website. Um, the graphic disappeared from the header. Um, there was no statement explaining what was going on. It wasn't like the article went blank or actually here's a bunch of other cherries for, for Israel. It was just like the it was just removed. Um, and then the Game Informer one also went down uh, without any sort of public uh, comment and I think uh you know I it was online this weekend less than probably everyone else because of my kids but the sense I've gotten since catching up and talking to folks is that also there wasn't a lot of commentary from the staff of those uh, sites as well which uh, certainly creates a, a sense of a chilling atmosphere of like what was what happened here you know what you know what, what management step in to say to do what is going to be the 
Are there going to be career, you know, fallouts uh, as a result of this? Um, and then um, at the, uh, you know, the ripe old time of roughly two in the morning, depending on which time zone you want to pick, um, you know, IGN put out uh, a statement uh, in, in which uh, they, now I'm, I'm pulling it up. They, uh, the, the I'm not going to read stamp. the on this yeah, one is the, the important thing, really. Yeah, <laughs> one twenty-one in the morning. Um, and I'm not going to read the the whole thing. You know, it, you know, if you go to IGN's official Twitter account, you can read the entire thing. Um, but I'll at least read from from the start from the start, which is uh, across IGN. Our hearts are heavy as we follow the events in Israel, Palestine, and across the region. Our first thought is always for the broader IGN community, our employees, readers, and partners, and for our, uh, our hopes and our hopes for their safety and well-being. We have a track record of supporting humanitarian efforts and charities across the globe. In the instance of our recent post regarding how to help civilians in the Israel-Palestinian conflict, our philanthropic instincts to help those in need was not in line with our intent of trying to show support for all people impacted by tragic events. By highlighting only one population, the post mistakenly left the... I'm doing some emphasis here. Left the impression uh, that we are politically aligned uh, with one side. This was not our intention and we sincerely regret the error. Um, There's been... Uh, I, 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 there was no indication publicly and I can, I can say this confidently having done enough reporting at this point on what, what has happened here. You know, this was not written by the staff of IGN. Like, no, this, you know, exactly who wrote yeah, the this? Yeah, the IGN I, staff didn't say that the, their first concern was for partners, was for advertisers. Right. Something um, I really want to point out, especially here, is that the editor-in-chief of IGN is Tina Amini. Tina Amini is a Persian woman. And that's all I have to say. <laughs> like, I don't think Tina Amini's concerns here are with the advertisers. I think Tina Amini, who's a really good person and a strong leader, like she empowered her staff to make a decisive to make a decisive, you know, statement in support of a cause and then and as watched it just blow up in her fucking face. <laughs> she fucking sucks uh, for her. <laughs> yeah, I can't you know, I can't speak to, you know, to Tina specifically, but I, you know, in terms of like, you know, them putting a pin on where, where we're at on this is uh, Game Informer hasn't put it back up. GameSpot's remarkably, like I just kept waiting for it to go down. It didn't. Um, it's it's still up. Um, and uh, IGN hasn't put the the article up. So that's kind of where we're at now. And, and like you're, the, you're, again, you're saying you are confident saying that this is a management thing. This is like a reported you would write, you would put your name on that. Yeah, 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 yes. I, yeah, I, I would say this was not written. This is not the, Yahoo at, Anime Rules. Fucking, this at, is. At, at, the, at the very least, you know, like, we're, like, I will be, like, muting myself and then, like, doing reporting in the middle of this podcast. But, like, I, I can at least say the people who signed off and, and wrote that, that article on Friday, promoting the charities, writing the tweet, making, you know, going through the, you know, the task of, like, assigning someone in graphics to, like, you know, make, you know, a, a site change. Like, mm-hmm. those people were not involved in the crafting of this and wherever this comes from is something fundamentally different. And I think, you know, we can use this to to pivot pivot off. But, I, I you know, it, this yeah. definitely reeks of the timing, the yeah. way the, 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 the milk toast language, the two-sidesy nature, um, it, you know, definitely, uh, you know, comes across as something that was uh, broader corporate, uh, you know, uh, instincts coming in to to dismantle something that the editorial staff felt very strongly yeah. about. Speaking very, very, very broadly, like uh, when in the course of our jobs as reporters, we are not thinking about the needs of advertisers ever, <laughs> you know, so that's just not something that would even occur to us to apologize for. <laughs> you know? It's, in fact, like very important that those things are separate. So. Well, and at this point. What we're also looking at is to reiterate what I said up top, which is we're looking at a corporate office. We're looking at management in in the large capital M sense, stepping in 
and removing editorial independence um and and pulling down a, a a again a story that is unimpeachable in terms of even the sort of broad you know acceptability um uh it doesn't say window. israel bad it just says palestinian no. could use money <laughs> right. you know what i mean like it's yeah it's I, said, but I, I mean it and, said stated things that were true which is that the majority the of the, the casualties have been palestinian like that's, that's exactly it right? and the like, charities that they were pointing to were specific like they were not like they were not a controversial charities. It was like Doctors Without Borders. You know, right. this the, is the, mainstream stuff. <laughs> that's the thing is the charities were incredibly mainstream and vetted and and um, widely accepted as as, you know, properly run. But also, yes, to your point, it did have the sentence Palestinian citizens are currently suffering in great numbers in Jerusalem, Gaza and the West Bank due to Israeli forces. And that sort of direct language, I think. And Rob, I think this is what you were going to, to gesture at is is a shift in the way this story has been covered in mm-hmm. in America in the US for uh, in in a big way and so to just put it in those terms it seems like in many ways that is what goes over the line on top of whatever else around what charities were listed is that is that kind of where you were going Rob yeah i think one of the things that we see happening and this example in the game space is is one example of it but it's happening broadly across the media landscape which is this ability to directly say things like this is disproportionate harm that's being inflicted. This is there's not an equivalence here, and there is uh, suffering that is being caused by Israeli forces. That Israeli policies have led led us to this. That the way uh, the IDF prosecutes these policies uh, leads to suffering and causes disproportionate harm. And I think in the past, the framing that's always been adopted, and I think it's been framing that's very, very um, good for the right-wing Israeli project, which is that if if blood is on anyone's hands here, it's Hamas. Uh, that, that the mere fact that Hamas fires rockets into Israel, all Israel can do is engage in its right of self-defense and respond to these terrorist provocations and if there are far more Palestinians who die in these uh, in these raids and these counterattacks, um, well, those are just the results of terrorism, uh, and that is that that just goes to the fact um, that the refusal of Hamas uh, in particular, but really Palestinians more broadly, their refusal to reconcile themselves to uh, Israel's right to exist is the real is the real cause here. And there's a couple things there too. Increasingly, this conflict is not about like the right to exist or what happened in 1948. Uh, I think there's a lot of folks, when you get into discussing those issues, you immediately get pulled down a rabbit hole of history and really contested events that go to the early formative years of the state of Israel. Um, but in the current context... This stuff, I would say, is maybe less important than it used to be because increasingly what this is about is daily degradations and violence being inflicted on Palestinians and the ongoing prosecution of a um, Israeli settler project that is like dispossessing people of their homes and basically forcing them to live under military occupation where previously they did not. Yeah. 
Emmanuel, you've you've written about uh, Israel and Palestine before in the context of video games. <clears throat> video games. I saw your Last of Us two piece going around this weekend. But I think more importantly than just raw expertise, you also have the expertise of like having lived in Israel. Uh, and I'm curious as you see this stuff kind of uh, happen over the last couple of, of of weeks, and especially this past week, how you. Uh, how you you see it weigh against kind of the the past moments that this has kind of boiled up into the mass mass consciousness and the conversation yeah uh so i've been getting some really nice notes about this story i wrote about the last of us last year that uh rob encouraged me to write and he edited and good piece uh, thank you really really good (laughs) Encourage. There were like multiple meetings where the end of it would be Rob going, "I'm gonna go cyberbully uh, Emmanuel to writing that piece again." Uh, well, until we finally the, get the, it out the of The question him. every day is just, "In what way am I cyberbullying?" Emmanuel? So that's just. <laughs> I'm trying to cyberbully Emmanuel to talk about why he loves it so much when everyone's mic turns on at the end of a war zone match. So, like, we're all trying to cyberbully him into something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad I was bullied into writing it. And I say this especially because it's like, people have been tweeting it and saying nice things about it. And that makes me feel good. Uh, but also, uh, the student emailed me and, um, he's in, he's in games. And he said that the piece helped him, uh, explain how he feels about this problem to his friend. And, uh, that just like, uh, humbles and and overwhelms me uh that like my my words can be useful to anyone uh in that way and the the piece feels almost like it anticipated the current discourse about the conflict in the sense that um you know but by using terms like cycles of violence we imply that there is symmetry between uh the two sides uh that are fighting and uh there is an I'm, I'm i'm not going to quote myself but the the the, <laughs> the section that everyone keeps um sending to me or are posting to twitter is is um the one in which I, I explain that um describing the problem this way um benefits the side that is actually more powerful because it's able to survive the status quo so you have it, it it is true that we're uh, locked into uh, this problem. It's like this conflict that never ends, but it is survivable for one side and it is not survivable for the other side. And that's kind of what I wanted to discuss in the story and uh, what I think um, is expressed in 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 The Last of Us, which was uh, kind of is the brainchild of a of an Israeli uh, game developer. Um, can I? Like slight, slightly go on a tangent Dude, and tell a please. story. I'm ready. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, I've like I'm I'm consumed by 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 this stuff when it happens and it's in the news and I've been consumed by it this weekend and I've really uh you know thinking about what I want to say just as a as a as a as a personally and 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 somebody who works at this company and is a manager and who who is israeli and and you know the people i work with know this and um it's like on the one hand i want i want people to know that like i'm here to enable people to say what they have what they want to say and nothing you say will offend me and 
Um, I'm, I'm here to do uh, the reporting that this company has always done and has done in Gaza and has done in the West Bank. And I encourage everyone to like look at Vice's coverage, years long coverage uh, of this issue um, and on Motherboard as well. Um, so that's the first thing I want to say. And then I, w- I want to... Let, let me tell you a story. <laughs> yes. Okay. Please. Uh so uh when we were teenagers, when I was growing up in Israel, like many te- teenagers, all we would do is like find places to like smoke cigarettes and smoke weed and drink like away from like the eyes of adults and um the best place to do that was on top of these bomb shelters. Every public park in Israel has a bomb shelter and it's a great place to smoke weed or drink because Nobody can see you up there and you can see everyone. So you can see if the cops are coming or can you can see if adults are coming. And, Hell yeah. <laughs> um, so it just like we would just hang out there all the time. And one time we were 14 and I was hanging out there with my friend and it just like we're smoking cigarettes and we're talking. And somehow we, we, we got to talk about uh, the conflict. And it's like I don't remember the details of the conversation, but basically... There, there was probably like a, a suicide bombing or something uh, in Tel Aviv because it's like back when that happened more frequently. And I think his his question was like, well, I don't even know. I don't even know what they want from us. Right. It's like I don't like we can't we can't do anything about this because I don't even know what they want. And I, I said something like, well, they want what they had. They want what was taken from them. And he was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, it's like. You know, it's just like the parts of Jerusalem where they lived. It's like the, the, the town where we where we lived before it had a Hebrew name. It had a name in Arabic. And he was like, I, what are you talking about? And I was like, I was like, yeah. And he was like, I don't know. I, I don't, I've never heard this before. And I was like, how can you not know this? And we like <laughs> talked over and over about this problem. And I remember we went home and I, I talked to my dad, who was a big hippie, lefty, um person and i was like dad (laughs) tell him you know what i mean and it's just like my dad told him and we pulled out the books and like he 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 like he was like yeah emmanuel knows what he's talking about this is true it's like the the city that we're in like this is this is its arab name and um this didn't convince the person at the time and we kept talking about it and talking about it and the way i remember it is like this is a close friend we talk frequently and one day he calls me and he went from completely rejecting the like my side of the argument the side that says um israel as the more powerful player here has the ability and the need to um make this right by and i don't want to get into the details of what that looks like exactly right cuz like that part is uh, deep and complicated. Is it, like, is it a right of return? Is it like a, a one-state solution? Is it a two-state solution? It's just like, but it's like the the ball is in our court to to mm-hmm. to make it right. And so he rejected it, rejected it. And one day he calls me, and he's like, "I set up a meeting between us and um this organization, this socialist organization." called uh Mavak Socialisti. It's called it's a socialist struggle is the name is the name of this organization. And it is a it is a socialist Jewish and Arab organization that is like it's it's a coalition of workers that are against the occupation um uh under the logic of like capitalism is doing it to us. So it's like this person that 
was completely unaware of the history and was uh, completely rejected the idea that Israel could has done anything wrong, kind of leapfrogged me and went like, and, and he was like, hey, man, we're 14, but we're joining the Communist Party. And we met with this, <laughs> and, he, and we, went, we met with these people. We, we met with like these 40-year-old leaders of this organization, and we met with them several times, and we just sat in these coffee houses and talked to them. And eventually they gave us like the party newspaper, and I sold the party newspaper at my school in junior high. And um, it was just kind of this amazing thing that happened where it's like I radicalized him, and then he radicalized me, um, and 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 it. it I, I just. That's really beautiful, man. Oh, I want I want to share this story because, um, I know there are, there are, uh, you have Jewish listeners, and you have Israeli listeners, and you know there's uh maybe people who are like they tune into the IGN Israel Twitch streams sponsored by Pizza Hut, which is a thing that exists, I noticed, this weekend. Jesus um, Christ! Fuck! Uh, yeah, but this is the texture I love you for. This is the <laughs> really good... Uh, it's uh, true. It's true. Really Pizza Hut's a big sponsor. Yeah, so I want to know how much time did you spend scrolling through the IGN Israel Facebook page this it's weekend? It's a Twitch stream. You gotta watch this Twitch stream if you want to know what's going yeah, on. If you want to see some real shit, check out the way the, the, the IDF Instagram in English versus the IDF Instagram in Hebrew, because very different tone, gotta say. Uh, yeah, so just to, to, to Please, finish yeah. this, I'm just saying it to, to those of you who are listening and are like, you know, torturing yourself about this and like are consumed by this. It just, I, it, it just as a reminder that people can change their mind and not only change their mind, but like come back at you with, with even more of that. And I guess it just like, I don't know, we need to do it 7 million times or something, but I, it, it's it's worth having those conversations and it's worth um, it's worth fighting about and it's worth offending people and it's worth posting to IGN about it um, <laughs> because it, it people uh, can change their mind and yeah. it's um, a good thing. Something I want to say, piggybacking on that, I'm in a relationship with a man who's Jewish, who's a grew up Orthodox, whose parents are still Orthodox. We just had Passover a couple months ago, and they do two seders. So I feel like I can say some things about Judaism now because I did that two times in a row. Um, and I mean, part of his David will tell me quite frequently, you know, what his upbringing was like in terms of uh, what he learned about Israel. He has relatives that live in Israel, and you know, the joke was that they're very conservative. Jewish uh, private schools was that you'd, you'd you know, rush through the American Pledge of Allegiance in the beginning of the day so you could get to the Israeli Pledge of Allegiance, which is what everyone really cares about. You know, it's a, a conservative political animus that, you know, he feels like he was straight up brainwashed into support of something that now that he's an adult and is able to analyze and understand the circumstances of Israel and its creation in a much bigger way, you know, he feels disgusted, like, by the things that he was taught. He, um, you know, it's it's funny, though, you know, it's like, 
I, we used to be sold, and I think this is folding into the broader conversation of like how, how and why has the, our ability to talk about Palestine changed in the past 10 years? You know, there's a recent, very recent study of Jews in the United States from Pew Research says that now one in 10 Jew, American Jews supports BDS, supports divestment from Israel, which mm-hmm. is pretty significant when you think about the how much effort it takes to have someone join an ongoing boycott like one that is like more mostly symbolic. Um, and then, but then also, you know, you look at, he's reconnecting with people from these, from these Jewish schools that he went to that. And they're saying to him, the tweets that you're saying about Israel, about, you know, the injustice that's being done in the name of, of Jewish people over the world. They're important to me. You know, the people that he also thought were completely brainwashed by, you know, pro-Israel propaganda was they are they're breaking free. There's a stronger contingent now. I, I think it's it's impossible to be have been in a conscious adult in a post 9-11 world and not just have a complete disgust for the way the way that this kind of thing happens. Right. It's transparent. And you can see this because this is something that's been bothering me is a sidebar. But something that the social media phenomenon that's been bothering me. Additionally, in, in a part of this is um Simultaneously to this, the COVID crisis in India has been completely exacerbated by the complete lack of action from Modi, who is a like a right wing populist, like similar to Trump. They were buddies, like prime minister. And um, Modi represents Hindutva, which is a conservative political group that is Hindu supremacists, Hindu supremacists over Muslims. And so what you'll see sometimes on these pro IDF and pro Israel posts is like dozens and dozens of Indian simps. Just being like, we are united with you against the scourge of Muslims. And like, that just shows you what the whole game is about. Like, this isn't about when, you know, India, I I have to look this up, but I don't believe that India is a historic ally of Israel. <laughs> and I just feel like this is, you know, the, the thing that we've seen all around the world is just justifications for bombing Arab nations mostly for oil, but also sometimes for ideological reasons. And the, the excuses are so flimsy every time. I feel like I personally am sick of seeing this shit. And I feel like a lot of other people are fed up also. Totally. Rob, you had something a second ago. So I agree. And I think one of the things you brought up there about uh, your partner's experiences growing up Jewish, I think one of the things that's shifted is that some of the old arguments are less effective. There used to be a lot of things that used to instantly backfoot any good faith criticism of Israel. It's so complicated, um, for instance. Yeah, and well, yeah, and to that, like I remember when one of my best friends uh, went on her birthright trip, and in every respect, uh, she was and is a very liberal, progressive person, um, like one of the most moral people uh, I, I've ever met. But when she came back from birthright. Can you explain really quick? Can you just say what birthright is for people who don't know that term? Uh, yes. So like it is a custom and tradition in uh, American Judaism uh, since the formation of Israel to uh, after a bar bat mitzvah uh, as, as part of the coming of age of an American Jew, you go to Israel on your birthright trip. And you connect uh, your Judaism with the state of Israel. It's 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 an explicitly 
propagandistic and political endeavor, but was such a core part of American Judaism that it was one of those things that kind of passed without comment. Like it didn't register to me that it was weird uh, at all until my pal comes back from birthright and she like I asked, I can't remember what I asked, but I basically asked about like, Hey, it, it seems like Palestinians have a lot of legitimate grievances and are being repressed and she kind of blows up at me at this point. She's like, don't even talk to me about the Palestinians. You don't, you don't understand like all the history. And then she, she lays out a version of this history. The, the time I was, I was like, I don't think this sounds weird, but like, Hey, you just went there and uh-huh. like, you're more tuned into this stuff than I did. But basically everything came down to this argument that in 1948, um, all I can the already tell I'm going to get so pissed, but go ahead. All the Palestinians basically are like the other Arab states around Israel are going to come in and they're going to kill all these Israelis, all these Jews. And then this this declaration of Israel won't be our problem anymore and we will come back and we will retake our land. But basically the presentation of history that she got over the birthright was that any dispossessed Palestinians were just rejecting a good faith author offer that Israel was making, which was we're going to create a secular state and you guys can be part of it. Um, please don't be alarmed by the formation of Israel and don't flee uh, as these various Arab armies uh, close in on these, on these new borders. And the Palestinians in this act of like collective, um, <laughs> collective like dastardliness, um, like basically bail out of the way to clear the way, um, to Israel so that Arab armies could, and you'll hear this phrase a lot, drive them into the sea. Um, and everything flows from that. Like in, in, as she unpacked it, like this, everything flowed from this, that like the Palestinians did everything to themselves. Everything that's bad that has happened with the Palestinians was in some way self inflicted. And, I think when issues around this, when, when, when the Palestinian conflict would, would have these flare-ups, you'd often have these devices deployed where it's like, the, the, well, why is it complicated? And you will enter this chaff cloud of yeah. bits of history around the like negotiations around who Palestine belongs to. So you'll hear about 1947, 1948. Mm-hmm. You will hear about the 1967 borders. Uh, Yeah. Have you often heard that Palestine doesn't exist? I hear that argument a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, Just complete erasure, too. Yeah. Um, That there was never a nation called Palestine, that those people were Jordanians. (laughs) Right. And and, and so one of the things that I think has has changed is that um, for a long time, I think you had a lot of people and uh, certainly like a lot of like American Jewish people happily carrying that water. And you would, you would have more people like joining in that like rhetorical effort to cloud and muddy what's happening, but things do change and facts on the ground do change and your reaction to them changes. And I think for a long time, like 
you would have everything framed in terms of this. We just got to figure out what to do with those 1967 borders and all the territory that was seized in the Six Day War. You get wrapped up in these specifics and it clouds you from the fundamental injustice, which is that people were living there and they were displaced. Well, and yeah. <laughs> the, un- the injustice has also compounded and changed. Yeah. Like yeah. the nature of Israeli occupation has changed a lot in the last 20 years that suddenly makes a lot of those arguments less satisfying. I think the 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 dominant vision of this of this conflict right now is probably going to be the shot the pictures of iron dome interceptors going yeah. into the sky yeah. to to get Hamas rockets. And you will see daily um like Israeli public affairs posts talking about just how hard it is to l- live life under siege just knowing oh, that you know, you're, you're surrounded by enemies. But you know the thing is unlike in the first two intifadas to me at least it feels like Israel is far more physically secure than it's ever been in my lifetime. Yeah. And rather than having that create space for compromise and create space for coexistence and like reaching some sort of equitable solution. And Emmanuel, you led to this. That's complicated. That's very hard. But rather than any of those positive things coming out of this, instead, it's like just gasoline is being like poured on this repression. And that makes all these arguments feel a lot more moot and less satisfying than they were perhaps when we were hearing them 20 years ago. Totally. Um, the the I think it's so interesting to see the shift in the response. I think partly it is what um, someone said earlier, which is that in the light of conversations around Black Lives Matter uh, and and in, in you know North America conversations around police violence, um, uh, the ways in which uh, the, the state – um, you know, uh, operates a total control of um, the ways in which stories are 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 told about what's happening. There is a recognized playbook at work here, um, and I think so for for a lot of folks who be, who've become increasingly active in the last five six years um, since Black Lives Matter, seeing those plays be called, seeing the control of, for instance, the press. Um, seeing the ways in which uh, uh, the the old the old canard of the IDF saying that they had to bomb such a, such and such a place because somewhere buried within was a Hamas facility, even if it was apparently under the noses of trained investigative reporters, um, who themselves just- would be by choosing to live there, putting themselves in harm's way, uh, which would make no fucking sense. They're really acting um, like the BBC is going to share an office building with Johnny Hamas and just like not yes. know it, like. Of course, yes. they would know if it was there. Also, if they didn't know, why didn't would, you tell them? <laughs> right, and so and so the the um, you see that familiar playbook. But I also just want to highlight that I think another thing we're seeing is something that can be hard to recognize in terms of a shift until a moment like this, which is different people have the microphone now. Um, you can point to people in the industry, like Patrick said at the top, developers and. Uh, 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 journalists. I-, I was very moved by a lot of what uh, Tamar Hussein from from GameSpot has posted over the last few days, including a a very direct <laughs> chiding and call to action that walked that line between being like informative and um and and uh, uh demanding without being insulting or um uh as angry as frankly he would be justified to be in saying, hey, you know, where is that heat? from from the people who were hot on on some issues last year why isn't this space speaking up for p- 
people for the Palestinian people? Why are we not making posts about this? Why are our outlets dead silent on this? Um, and that post and that 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 video that that he made was like really really strong, and a lot of stuff came after that. And you can't point to a single thing, right? It's not it is not the dominoes meme. It is not Tamar Hussein puts the first domino down, and then the big domino at the end is IGN breaches. He was a big domino on that pile, but he was though. a big fucking domino in the in the in the mix, you know. Um, and and so like shout outs to him. But I think that that to some degrees this is this is who has the microphone now, who has platforms has shifted over the last five to six years. In you know the the post GamerGate world, we did see editorial outlets bringing on people and from more diverse backgrounds, and we did see an effort, often you know <laughs> led by our peers and and to the degree that we've been able to contribute ourselves, pushing for hey we should be allowed to talk about this shit. This is the world we're in the world, and I think that there is a degree to which this is the knock on effect, or not you know this is the knock on effect of that. This is instead of it just being a couple of people in the industry being outliers who have this position. Now there's enough, there are enough people yeah. who have helped uh, do the, the the hard work that Emmanuel talked about of educating their, their friends and peers of calling that shit out. And, and that kind of is the prerequisite for this last couple of days to have happened. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why Emmanuel. it's significant to point out that Tina Mini is the, the person that is in charge of IGN, right. you know, she, for a long time, or in charge of in the editorial sense, the, not in charge yeah. of in the she's corporate. editor in chief. She's not president of IGN. <laughs> um, right. yes. Yes, yes, you know, yeah. As far as I know, Tita Amini is the only Persian person who's the editor in chief of a video game website. You know, I, I think that that is a significant change in the industry from how it used to be. Yes, uh, Emmanuel, you had something here. Yeah, I just um, to come back to uh, the point of education. I think. If you look at something like the sixteen nineteen project and all um, the fighting around it, I think as an observer, sometimes you can look at that and you can say, "Oh, that is just like a culture war thing." It's like mm-hmm. this is not about material things, and therefore it doesn't matter. It's just like, "Oh, the SJW said this, and then the <laughs> Trump people said that, and they're just fighting, and we're distracting from like income inequality or something like that," and. Um, I think to go back to the story with my friend, it's like, it, it, it is technically a culture war thing, but it is also the entire fucking ball game. Because if you, yes. if you grow up in Israel and you literally don't know, I'm not even like assigning malice to you. It's just like, literally we're not given the information your own history, like the history of your own country, you just don't have it. And we obviously understand it like in an American context here, like the uh, what we did to indigenous people, slavery, yes. just like people yes. literally, they don't have the information. And if you don't have the information, you can't think about things correctly. You can't make the right decisions. So it's really, um, it's not just talking and it's not just culture war stuff and it's mm-hmm. not just like Twitter battles. Mm-hmm. It's like I, I hate the tweets, okay? I also hate Twitter. <laughs> I hate all of your tweets. They're all bad. But my tweets are good. Wow. Oh Get my god. Here. You're all muted. Um, <laughs> but it, it just like it, but it's like it does really, really, really matter. It's yeah. really important. It's, yeah. not well, it's not just, just talking points. Yeah. And it's not just information, it's like historical grammar. 
-hmm. I think something that's important to understand about the way we learn history is that it's not that different from the way we learn language. We we, We learn a certain set of verbs. We understand subject and object. We understand how history unfolds according to the sort of schema. It's almost like diagramming a sentence is also how we end up diagramming history. And so if you learn the history of – if you're uh, from the United States um, like I am, you learn a certain model for history that is often about individuals. It's often – how many times have we rung this bell, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's about individuals choosing things. So the, the Why was America colonized? Well, because individuals uh, were being repressed and not being allowed to, to, to uh, pursue their religious freedoms, and so they moved here, which is like such a terrible reduction of what happened and what happened to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, this also obviously speaks to, to the, the another thing that I think people have have grown weary of and and I've grown able to identify which is the use literally of passive voice mm-hmm. in the covering of of the Palestinian uh, uh you know uh, occupation by by Israel which I've just slipped into mm-hmm. Israel's occupation of Palestine yeah. is what I should have said yeah. um and and that learning those that history learning what actually happened here does not only give you the facts for so that you can weigh them, it also gives you the grammar to then apply to other situations. It lets you de- kind of decode in 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 some ways the that information differently, so that you don't fall in the trap of saying, "Well, it's too complicated." It's actually, as we've now said many times this week, startlingly simple. Um, uh, and and solutions might be complicated, but the fact on the ground is the fact on the ground. Eating yeah, ahead. you know, to 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 circle, you know, to bring it all together, just think about how many of us that were educated in America had at least one history class where they taught us that the Civil War, the American Civil War happened because <laughs> of states' rights. Mm-hmm. And with no clarification right. on what the states' right to do what <laughs> exactly uh-huh. there. Right. You know, if you control totally. the narrative of history, if you if you teach children that the narrative of American history is about the power of the individual, then they will never think of themselves as part of a collective. If you teach them, and as I know, I've grown up knowing people who had to re-educate themselves in the history of the Civil War, if you teach them that the Civil War was just about states' rights rather than one group part of the country splitting off because they objected to the economic harmful hardships they would fall by not being able to use human chattel slavery. Like, yeah. you know, it, it does become really complicated if it's about states' rights. It's a lot easier if it's about chattel slavery. You know, it's... Right. It's interesting to watch Israel deploy these tactics because they're all very inspired by things that I've experienced in America. <laughs> and it's 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 depressing, but it also I feel like we now are at a place where I feel like people in my social group at least have tools to dismantle this language and these tactics. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Rob was going to say something, I think. Um, one of. One of the things I, I do want to address here a little bit is that one of the narratives here is that you can't criticize Israel uh, in part because, one, you can't imagine what it's like to be Israeli, uh, to live with like the ro- the rocket warning alarms going off, to live with the awareness uh, that you have like hostile terror cells like s- surrounding you. Um, and you, you can't. You can't criticize people for wanting to engage in self-defense and wanting to protect themselves. And Emmanuel, I think your story illustrated something that I didn't know, which is the degree to which um, a lot of Israelis themselves adopt these framings unquestioningly. 
and aren't really aware of these other perspectives. And and I'm curious, like how you make sense of that, but but also like when you see these defenses being promoted uh, of Israel, and when you see it being framed as like incoming Hamas rocket fire as being equivalent to laser guided uh, bombs being dropped into Gaza. Like how, how do you interpret all of this stuff as like an Israeli leftist? Um, well, I think the, the part that is compelling about that argument is that it's like, it's, it's hard to imagine other people's experience, right? It's like, we, we all, we all know this and it's not, it's it's not nice to hide in a bomb shelter. <laughs> it's not it's not a good feeling. Uh, I've been in a bomb shelter. Um, I, I, it, the the sound of alarms and stuff. It's it's frightening and it's bad. And um, I don't want to uh, like minimize that or tell people that it's like that. Oh, you're not really afraid or anything like that. But the 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 thing that I've always said, and I think that that you alluded to, Rob, is just like well. We're, we're the the cruelty is in the name of security right mm-hmm. is is kind of the story uh that the government tells and and I, what i say to that is just um th- there will be no security until there is a peaceful solution um and anyone who tells you otherwise is just politically gaming you i mean it is not a coincidence that um the horrible escalations are like hugely political politically beneficial to uh the leader of that country um he 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 has basically uh managed to stay in power on and off for 20 years most of my life by yeah. convincing people that he is the only one that can keep them safe right and guess what they're not safe still we we've tried this method for 20 years and it's like they're not safe it's like it it's 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 not proportional but it's like people do live in fear they do die there are alarms it's like it's it's bad it's it's not it's not it's not the ideal place uh to live and it's like the only way uh to solve that is to uh solve the underlying problem which is in my opinion uh, the occupation of Palestine. Yeah, right. Um, I, I think a lot about the Michael Brooks quote going around, or there's a video of Michael Brooks going around answering a question in which he says, you know, pretty, pretty. I mean, plainly, he says this is not a complicated issue. He says, like, yes, there are justifications for why an ethnostate was created to begin with, but an ethnostate will never lead to justice or equity from all of the citizens inside of it and so that should our project cannot be about how to make this this you know uh ethno nationalist project better it has to be about getting rid of the ethno nationalist project and and replacing it with something around equity um before we wrap up this this segment which thank you so much for everyone's perspectives i do want to patrick briefly come back to you you've been in the games industry for your whole life <laughs> your yeah, whole adult uh, life yeah oh well don't you don't need to drag me but <laughs> Um, I cannot think of an instance of this sort of breach of of in, uh, of kind of editorial independence in our space. I, you know, I think Gersman Gate comes to mind, but even that yeah. review stayed up, right? 
Correct. They didn't pull that review. Right. Um, and well, because usually this stuff happens ahead of publication, right? Correct. Like things just right. don't get published. That's the, yeah, like the, the actual the, thing is, yes, there are probably other instances of this that we just don't know about from that era of. I don't journalism. know about this, like this. This is like so like weirdly like often like in the in the past, like when I was younger, the the pressures that would come from management would often be related to. Uh, you know, ads being pulled in right. in magazines. Like, oh, if we make this this company angry, then we're going to lose, um, uh, you know, uh, the ads that are in the upcoming issues. And those were like, on one hand, they were being exploited. You know, exploiting the editorial. It was also true. Like I, that yeah. stuff did happen. Like there there are instances that you know I know that like the EGM folks have talked about publicly in which. Like they would give a bad, like something innocuous is giving a bad score to a game, and then you know an acclaim or whatever would pull you know the, the pull their shit for six months, um, and they did fine because they you know made a lot of their money you know back then on you know store shelves as opposed to necessarily right. uh, completely ad sales, but um, you know and I I I've, I think I've mentioned you know a personal instance in which like when I worked at One Up, like I was writing a piece about game reviews that related to how Ubisoft would like apply pressure to. Uh, learning about reviews ahead of time from EGM and then they would apply that pressure to places like one up and yada, yada, yada. And that got killed by, by, you know, my, my management as I was trying to, to write that piece. And that's the, that's the only instance I think where I've had that occur. I was also 22 and everyone was on my side. There was just nothing we could have done. And there was no Twitter didn't exist or had just started. Like there was no the way to, there was no conversation around. Yeah. Where was I to complain spaces. to, um, right. you know, right. everyone, you know, editorially was like, yeah, that sucks. That shouldn't have happened. But that was just sort of the, the, the end of it, which isn't, you know, even dragging my colleagues as much as like, that's just, I think goes to show where like things have shifted. Like, you know, as much as, you know, I, I sympathize with, you know, Emmanuel's hatred of, of Twitter. Like, you know, I get it. I'm there too. <laughs> yeah. But even as I'm there, you know, all day, every day, um, finding stories, but, is the like I don't know that like this reaction happens without outlets like that because that is where people go like the notion the notion of subtweeting is is a form of like creative expression by by employees that cannot necessarily be like tamped down by the employers and I can confirm specifically because I've while you guys have been having like very interesting insightful conversations <laughs> about things that I cannot speak to uh, I've been reporting and like one of the things I can like pass on here is like you know. One of the things that I think we were, you know, alluding to earlier was uh, the lack of discussion by folks either involved or tangentially involved at places like IGN and Game Informer. Like, oh, are they fearful for their jobs, which is why they're not talking? Are they uh, have they been told not to say anything while statements are crafted? Right. Like that's that would, would be a, a very understandable or or at least common tactic. And at least on like the IGN side, like, no, like, you know, you have folks like Dan Stapleton and uh, I believe Justin Davis. Just uh, who's a director at IG the, or I, I don't know what director means, but director comma IGN <laughs> like just like especially doing a tweet thread, just linking all the things that were in the article, right. Right. Um, you know, in in a series of tweets and like that is that is in, in essence like a, a way that employees can, you know, push back on, on their employers when they are they are in, in situations like this. But um, to speak to your, your, your question specifically, like, no, like this, I think I, I got a message from somebody over the weekend that um just kind of casually observes games, um, isn't in the games press, isn't in game development. And their, their question was basically like, like what the hell like just <laughs> happened here? And they meant that like in a, in a lot of respects was like a bunch of games press just like published like, like, like pro uh, Palestinian, like charity articles. And then that shit got like, and I was like, well, you know, like I, I think, you know, the, the arc of, 
the uh, game's press turning left is long, and then it takes moments in which that is reflected and finds conflict points, um, you know, and that started, you know, with uh, let's talk about identifying as a feminist and then in some ways like ends with uh like a moment like this which is uh, you know like saying like i believe in feminism which is like a thing that came like out of the early like pre-gamer gate like yeah. early feminist frequency like a lot of like a light bulb turning on for dudes like myself and a lot of other people and like trying to care about that stuff more often like reaches a certain climax with this which is is not just older uh, 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 you know, dudes in the industry like catching up, but is younger, a younger generation who is, has grown up like being more online and being more aware and bringing that into their jobs, like as a matter of principle, as opposed to learning it along the way. Um, this is where like by pulling it, putting up a, a charity post, it is inherently taking some form of a position that is going to be oppositional to corporate interests. And when you have an instance where, you know, it isn't just like they make their money off of uh, sales of a magazine at a storefront or from ads, but actually it's the diversification of parent companies that are making money in like lots of different ways that create lots of different tension points and conflicts. When you, when that runs into a like left leaning press that is going to want to use their platform to make statements like this, uh, naturally you're, you know, you're going to reach a conflict that like goes into, into the corporate interest when you don't have corporatized charity like black lives matter which i'm not trying to take take away but like that became it was very trendy to be like yeah black lives matter and like you know a couple months ago like yeah like what's happened to asian americans is terrible like let's write a post like it becomes corporatized and and that can lead to positive outcomes you know money raised for for charities but it is it's safe right and like this is this is an instance in which is like it's not quote unquote safe to take that side or to, you know, to, to, to raise these selective facts as being the ones that we want to forward. And I will, I, I, you know, I'm genuinely curious to see where it lands. I, the, 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 the sense I have of it now and talking to enough people is like, I don't think people are going to lose their jobs over this. Um, but I also don't think like the article is going to go online at IGN. Um, it's maybe that's gone. different at other yeah. places, but I, but I, I think the, the resolution of this may be, you know, it doesn't appear at IGN, but like a bunch of people start tweeting similar sorts sorts of things um, on on their on their Twitter accounts, which is you know again it's a form of power. You can't publish on the in the in the corporate CMS, but motherfuckers can't touch your toxic Twitter account that breaks your brain every day. Um, <laughs> so so I think that I think that's where we where, where we're at now, and I'll be curious to see, I'll be curious to see, like what does it mean for the future, right? Like Same. one of the things that's interesting about IGN is if you just do a Google search for IGN how to help. Well, you'll just get like, what are the major cultural inflection points of the last uh, like 12 to 18 months? And IGN has has done one of those. And like, to, that's great. Like that is that is very cool that they have made that. Actually, it's just an expectation when, you know, we, you know, a certain thing reaches a, a threshold. We're going to do a, a post that is like, here are places you could donate to here, are, you know, act, different activist mm-hmm. organizations. And the fact that like, okay, like, you know, uh, stop Asian American hate, uh, Black Lives Matter also includes like, What's up with uh, Palestine? You know, like is 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 a really important inflection moment for like games press, like leftist, like sort of like talking points. Um, like there's a lot going on, and I'll, I'll be curious to see what does it mean for the next thing, whatever that is. You know, I, you know, at some point this this specific moment of this this conflict will deescalate into you know some you know Egypt will come in and say like ah ceasefire ha until you know the next thing happens. Um, but what what does that mean for the next time? Either this escalates, or another thing or comes to the form. Else. Does that does that cause a ripple effect 
in which there is less reluctance or, 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 you know, hopefully if you want to go on the, on the side that I'm going to, I'm going to choose optimism is like, like people want to go harder and like it creates more tension points uh, going forward. I, I, I don't, I genuinely don't know where it goes, but I, I hope for the latter. Gita, you had something here and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Yeah, this I also, you know, I can think of one major example where editorial overreach and the violation of editorial independence led to a huge uh, tension between <laughs> workers and management. And I don't know, do you know this uh, was a sports website called Deadspin? Have you guys ever heard of it? No, what's that? I uh, let's remember, yeah, I, hey, I, let's hey, remember some guys. Throw, throw it back a couple of years. I, I was there when we went bankrupt, which is why I left. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh-huh. yeah, well, uh, I was there through the lean years, buddy. <laughs> it was a different <laughs> So I'm Tagged out. Um, yeah, you know, I was a very active member of that union while that was happening. And it was a... One thing I do want to say is there is one other way for workers to take a stand against management that does not involve making individual statements on Twitter. Yes. IGN does not is not unionized. As far as I know, the Ziff Davis union has not been recognized. Um, and that is still a fight that is in the process of. Yep. Um, thank you, Emmanuel is uh, a rep and is nodding along. So I'm I'm taking that as a, <laughs> a skew that I'm accurately reflecting this information. You know, if you as a person who's not involved want to support them, I feel like supporting this effort to unionize the Ziff Davis workplaces is one of the best things yes. you can do. You can ask Ziff Davis why he has not voluntarily recognized the union. <laughs> like you can do Uncle that, Ziff. Um, Mr. Ziff. I feel like Mr. if Ziff. you want to help, you want to, Mr. Ziff. Ziff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you want to help and you don't know what to help these workers, you don't want to do. I'm being a doing something as a individual gets lost, but you know the bargaining power of a collective can really, really help. And in this case, you might want to take cues from whatever the worker, uh, a rep, a body that represents these workers would be doing. I don't I know that unionizations of media outlets, especially post Deadspin, if you're not familiar with what happened there, essentially, uh, uh, Daddy Spanfeller got mad and shit canned Barry. <laughs> and then everyone else at Deadspin quit because uh, they were really trying to direct editorial in a way that was completely inappropriate. Uh, very, very short version. And now everyone's at Deflector. Um, but it's... Defector, but Deflect. Deflector is a great fucking name. Did I cause <laughs> you to like, take oh, right there? That. I'm sorry. If we did Defector, if we did Defector, but sci-fi, Deflector would be a sick name. That'll be our... Yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Uh, Kato, uh, Kato, Kato, take, cut yeah. take that part out of the podcast, <laughs> yes. put that in yeah. the pile. Kato, <laughs> Kato, be the name of our that. PR Emmanuel. agency. Yeah. Yeah, Deflector, the PR agency. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, oh no! Art of incorporatized! All right, never mind. Scratch that. Um... But it's, uh, you know, that was like a situation that really, really like that couldn't have been possible without people taking collective actions, like like, not actions as an individual actions as a collective. And if we want to prevent things from happening like this in the future, if you work somewhere that can be unionized, like it's (laughs) probably time to start thinking like even if you live in a shitty apartment building where you don't like your landlord, it's time to unionize. Like It's time to think about how you can leverage power as groups against really powerful individuals. That's exactly it. And I can think of no better words to take us out. On this segment than that, we're gonna take a break. I think we're gonna some people are gonna get back to work. I'm not sure what the what the shakeout's gonna be. Uh, thank you everyone who's joined for this segment. Uh, we'll be back in just a second. Hold up. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, we're back to talk about some things we've been playing. And also, Patrick has threatened me with a video. I don't know. Oh, well, the threat is, uh, okay. All right. <laughs> you said gonna... it wasn't a shit post. No, it's not. It's not. Okay. Mm. Wait. Mm. What okay. kind of sure? <laughs> This seems like a threat to me. What I mean, I, well, I it, it, depends, it depends. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is a, it's, it's a threat of content. Um, <laughs> you yeah. scared off Emmanuel. He left the group. <laughs> He saw that and was like, I'm out. <laughs> All right, I'm three, two, one on this video. I'm hitting well, play. Well, I, I gotta wait for this ad. Uh, oh, you have an ad. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Three, okay. two, two, one, one. go. A fan project programmed by Jeremy Hay. I hear the Spelunky music playing. And it says a new way to play Spelunky. And I'm looking at a bunch of screens of Spelunky 2 as people are bouncing around with jetpacks. Yeah. Competitive online play. The screen is continuing to zoom out and more screens are being revealed. I hate this. Spelunky 2, it says. Oh, Spelunky 299, which is a great name. <laughs> it's a very good name. Is this real? Uh, is this, is this a Yeah, joke? This, is a, this is a fan mod that just, uh, I, I just got a DM about it like 10 minutes ago. Um, that is, uh, yeah, Spelunky 2, but uh, in the mold of Tetris 99 and Pac-Man 99 and, and the other uh, sort of like uh, Nintendo multiplayer mods in which I guess, you know, 99, 100 people can try and play Spelunky 2 at once and but all it's on the same seat. But it's not on the same, it's not on the same map. I'm assu- yeah, I'm assuming you're not all on the same map. Style. You're just, yes, you're, so you're, you're playing independently, but you are playing uh, presumably the same seed. Um, right. And it says like, I'm looking at it, it says like 31 traps added by such and such a person. So as you clear, is like as you clear stages. I don't know. Additional. These, these are great questions. I'm I'm not sure uh, how the uh, like the, the mechanics of like if you haven't played the 99 games, you know you you know right. as you're like clearing uh, spaces in Tetris or like you know chomping ghosts and Pac-Man, you are can send the equivalent of garbage, you know, to to the other ways to try and screw up their their play. And so it's it sounds like this has something similar that could be. I'd play this. It could be delight. This would be like a very fun thing to do with like get a bunch of people. Uh, on a, on a stream oh, yeah. to to try and do this together, um, give me an excuse to finally go back and and play, play some more Splunky too. Thank you for bringing this up. You're welcome. Um, so, video games. Now that we've had serious <laughs> conversations, uh, we could talk about video games uh, a little bit at least uh, with the time we have left. Gita, I know that I've I've seen you posting. Oh wow, Gita, I've seen you posting. You've seen where to posting. where to begin? Oh my uh, god, you're seeing seems some like you've new been, shit. <laughs> It seems like you've been caught up in the the wild storm that is Final Fantasy fourteen. Truly, uh, I just wanted to make my friends' shit posts make sense to me. That's a good reason to get into that. <laughs> that might be the best reason. As someone who's gotten into it and fallen out of it, that's the reason. Is like you want to just make things should just make sense to you. Yeah, I um, I don't know. I was caught. I 
This all, then let me tell you a story, actually. Yes. Um, right now, my boyfriend is uh, does freelance like recommendations uh, for stuff that's just on different streaming platforms that's leaving soon. It's like it's like service journalism for every time you've Googled a movie that's like looks like a, it's a science fiction movie you've never heard of and has no reviews. Like he's the guy who watches them and it tells you what the movie's about. It's an cool. incredible service. Sure. Uh, no. One time, the thing he was watching was. <laughs> Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. And I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you. Ever since I watched that movie again, which is not uh, sure. great, really weird how the uh, CGI love interest looks exactly like Ben Affleck, but has the voice of uh, Alec, um, what's his name? From 30 Rock. Baldwin? Alec Baldwin, yes. Oh, Alec weird. Baldwin. So it's Ben Affleck's face and Alec Baldwin's voice. <laughs> I hate that. It's awful. I don't love that at all. I don't know. That sounds like a Reese's cup of just (laughs) raw sexuality to me. (laughs) I love you guys. Uh, But ever since I watched that, like, um, I... I've just been thinking about like Final Fantasy and all its different iterations. And I Mm -hmm. thought this was going to be like, okay, so this is the new lore wiki I read every night to go to sleep. But no, like I started thinking about the games in the series I hadn't played. And I, sure. I, I went through some of them and I thought I might as well grab one of these because I bet I can grab it somewhere cheap and I can just play through all of it and like really slowly and not have to worry about it. And it can be that little Final Fantasy scratch for me. But for some reason, the thing that became the most interesting to me was the whole legacy of Final Fantasy launching, everyone hating it, and then Mm -hmm. them having to make the whole game again, like literally from the ground up. I watched the the no clip documentary and like something, something in that, in that inside of me at that time, I was just like, okay, I want to see what this game is like now. I want to see what they fucking did. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm largely enjoying it. I am like deeply in the beginning hours, which everyone says for like 50 hours is like not that interesting. Uh, it might be like 45 hours now. They cut a bunch from yeah. that from <laughs> Realm Reborn 2.0 um, uh, last year. And I've not played that content in the post cuts. So hopefully they cut and trimmed yeah. a lot of stuff for you. I'm I'm really <laughs> love for you to have a slight a, 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 a briefer experience and all that build up than, yeah. than I did. I definitely I'm like so early on in the main story that a lot of my stuff is just a lot of what I do is just like do my job quest and then for a couple of levels and then just try to do the main so quest storyline for a couple of levels every hour, like for an hour or two every night. It is like very easy to level in the early part of that game too. So it's going quickly. It's just, I know by the time I'm like, I don't know whether or not I should, because I can afford it, just get the token that speeds me through all of A Realm Reborn. Because I know really what it's just onboarding me for is like the basic mechanics of the game, the social mechanics, and I have a lot of friends who play this game and could could onboard me quickly to that stuff as well. Yeah. So There's like, the thing that fucking sucks is I feel like the very, very end of A Realm Reborn is pretty good, and then the patches connecting it to heaven's word are useful in terms of setting up some basic heaven's word stuff but mm-hmm. heaven's word is the is the part of that game that i've enjoyed and so like and i didn't even enjoy that all the way through but that's what the high points for me were definitely there so it's like 
I do think, especially if you've played other MMOs, that you could that you could skip ARR. And and more importantly, if what you want to do is hang out with your friends, mm-hmm. then focus on getting able to hang out with your friends as quickly as possible and yeah. like yeah. do content with them and stuff like that. More than just doing the most basic shit fetch quests <laughs> I've ever played. Truly, just hunting down a chocobo egg. That's what <sighs> I just got That's done what doing. You do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. What I don't class know. Where do you get yourself a bunny boy? That's that's my okay. question. Yeah. So the other thing is that the fan fest was levels week. away, and yeah, yeah, yeah right, the fan. Talk I, about the fan. I fest. can hear Kados emerging from his crypt to talk about <laughs> male Vieira. Uh-huh. They're <laughs> no, very they're, hot. They're hot. <laughs> they're just beautiful bunny twink boys. I love them. <laughs> I want a bunny boy. So yeah, so the the fan fest was this weekend, and now that I'm finally up to speed on all the lore and what things mean in this game, I understood finally what happens to my timeline every time there's a fi- Final Fantasy 15 fan fest, which is that everyone I know loses their mind. And like there was a couple of really big things that happened this weekend. One of them being so this race of bunny girls was added to the game. They're from Final Fantasy XI, the Viera. And in the lore of the Viera bunny girls, the male bunnies are very, very rare. So in eleven, you never see a bunny boy. So people were hoping to see for the first time a bunny boy. And they were like, okay, so we got bunny girls and lion boys. No opposite gender for either of these races. Yeah, there are no women Harathgar either, which is weird that was weird so i don't know what the deal is with those because i think that those did exist in the equivalent final fantasy whatever yeah you know? yeah it's it's a uh, cowardice it's cowardice yeah, it's, yeah, they were yeah. being cowards but they finally this weekend added bunny boys i watched one of the most adorable reaction videos <laughs> of this happening where there's a bunch of people on stream watching it and just like they clipped the part where they did the the male viera reveal and what the one guy in this group says is, how is this possible? It's like, I don't know. They modeled it. <laughs> they did the- <laughs> I think that's how it's possible to add a buddy boy to a video game. Anyway, they have do said it. that there will be lore reason for why they're showing up. Yeah, because now. they're so rare. You can't. They're so rare. And Something's we're clearly going to be overrun with buddy boys. <laughs> he, I believe Yoshi P also explicitly said it's not because they've been re- reproducing like crazy. It's a different <laughs> reason. Ah. Which is ah, very okay. funny. That he was just like, let me get ahead of this. I want to get ahead of this. <laughs> did he? Uh, is that like getting ahead really? of it though, or is that priming it? I think. I think. Uh, you know. No, we'll you couldn't have people developing head cannons where <laughs> there was just a bunny boy baby boom, and like there was like you couldn't. You couldn't let people have. Well, you could. It, you could. But should you bunny let boy people baby. have? Could. Bunny boy baby boom. <laughs> Baby, bunny boy, baby boom, bunny, bunny boy, boy, baby, baby boom. boom, bunny boy, baby <laughs> boom. Um, uh, um, anyway, the other uh, thing yeah. is like, so I when I watched the no clip documentary, I noted a couple of interesting things that Yoshida, who is the director of this game, said about his own workforce and how he approaches work as a leader. That I I noted is sort of like, huh, those are qualities that are good to have when you're working for people who are often encouraged to overwork and work to the point uh-huh. of exhaustion. Uh, where he. He would ask for time estimates on things, but he wouldn't like use if they didn't meet them, he would not punish them. He would just adjust his time estimate for the future so he could have an accurate like read on how long things were taking. We like talked about that. Like they're doing undertaking a ridiculous thing, which is building an entire MMO in a year. And like they they did it. So they had to work in absurd ways that really, really hurt them. And like he was upfront about that. But one other thing that happened during FanFest this year was the music producer for the game, Soken. Um, 
Uh-huh. Yoshida made an announcement on stage and he was crying through the whole thing that Soken had cancer during the coronavirus pandemic and was working on the game that whole time. And from the hospital bed. From the hospital bed. And no one could see him because it's the pandemic. You know, you aren't gonna uh-huh. you're not allowed in hospitals. Um and so Yoshida communicated with like asked him, like, why are you working so hard? You are recovering from cancer. Please like don't <laughs> don't do that. Um and Yoshida no um Sokem was like, well, the the thing that's like helping me through this recovery process is thinking about fans hearing this song and like it's giving me a reason to live through this. Like my dad had cancer a couple of years ago, and there's a couple of things he just found very difficult to give up because of that normalcy, like, was the thing that helped him through the really debilitating process of chemo. Like, he would mm-hmm. still, like, go to the gym and not really even do anything, but just be around those people because that's the only thing that could, you know, chemo, it took a lot out of him. His hair turned white. He lost a lot of hair. He lost a ton of weight. Mm-hmm. He lost a sense of taste, which I think was the most depressing thing for him. He could only taste... Citrus for a long time. So we had, you know, lemon was the only flavor that would enter his mouth. Um, and I just, I've looked at that and I'm like, in any other circumstance, this feels evidence, like evidence of an overworked workplace. But in this specific circumstance, knowing what I know <laughs> about these people, like, holy shit, I'm crying now. <laughs> I hate like this shit. I always feel like I'm being manipulated. Yeah, but I, I don't I, know. It's hard for me. I like, I do understand the bit of like, normalcy being as you know as someone who has lost multiple people to cancer i do yeah. understand the desire for normalcy it is really hard to he- hear this person is in is living in a hospital under treatment for cancer and also doing doing the day job right? i don't it's want rough. you to it's do rough. the day job yeah. you know but if this is what you need for recovery i don't know yeah. i can't tell you how to do it it's just really emotional. I don't want to look at fans like I'm, being upset about that, like really yes, I, being inspired by this and tell them they're wrong also. <laughs> right. I, I am glad that Sokin seems to have recovered um, uh, and you're at the very least cancer is in remission uh, and, and can get back to doing that job like in more in, in more comfortable uh, uh, ways while not battling cancer. So yeah. uh, shout outs to Sokin. Also, all that music. Slap Sokin is is they did all the whole, music in that game is very good. The reveal so. of the new and Walker theme is incredible. Yeah. They just wrote I've not so, listened to it yet. He wrote a shoegaze song. Oh, incredible! Also, they added the guitar <laughs> yeah. as a playable instrument in game. Oh yes, shit, like an electric guitar, which My, is sick. I got a cat girl bard, so I'm really ready nice, for that. Nice, yeah, I'm nice. ready for that very much. I thought She's you were saying like, it was like for you. The first time they added guitar to like the music in the composition, <laughs> and they was like, "Damn, finally!" It's like guitars. Really in, going in the soundtrack. <laughs> no, that fucking, that soundtrack rips. That soundtrack's been had guitars. Yo, let me tell you, it's it's it goes in certain. Points. I discovered recently. So every time I tweet about Final Fantasy fourteen on my timeline, because I have a lot of Twitter followers, like ten to twelve people look, come by and tell me helpful facts, which is very yeah, very cute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of them told me that the the music team also has a rock band. <laughs> called the Primals, which is, is very, correct. very, very adorable. <laughs> yes, yes. So they, they normally play at, I mean, they may have played at FanFest. I'm yeah. not sure if they did or not this year. I've not followed it super closely. They did. I'll send you the thread uh, of all of the, the performances. <laughs> I'm still mad that both Vieira and the Hrothgar can't wear a lot of hats. I feel like it's a huge yeah. missed opportunity. Especially. Just put the ears through the hats. Just put yeah. the Just ears put, through the hats. That's what anyone's asking for. You don't even have to do anything. Just let them clip. It'll be fine. I don't yeah. care if it clips. Yeah, please let it clip, in fact. <laughs> There's a new class has the distinctive hat, and then they just showed it yes. on the Viera and the Hrothgar, and 
it's like, well, those are the two ones that can't wear this classes those distinctive hat. hat. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Thanks. They added Reapers. They added like Bloodborne Hunters, basically. You I know, do. Like Death Reaper. DPS, when I get there, I, I know I'm going to be a Reaper. Cat girl yeah, Reaper. True. Cat girl Reaper. There you go. You're good. This is the thing. Is like, I'm playing a, I play a red mage and my Hrothgar can't wear the red, the distinctive big red mage hat. Like, what the fuck am I doing? That's the whole thing. Damn. Uh, I did um, hear they're adding female Hrothgar. I'm not they sure. They are. They are. They've said that. I saw some fan art predicting it. I think it looks, I think that I, I hope the fan art that I saw. If they uh, make like big them lion ladies, skinny bitches, is, I'm going to be upset. I'm out. Yeah. yeah absolutely. No. Absolutely. I mean, this is the great thing about the Vieira boys is that they're little, they, again, they're extremely skinny and little compared to like the big giant uh, Vieira uh, bunny ladies who like could beat the shit out of any of us. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a good pairing. Wait, hold on. Are they doing like, is this basically like the Vieira in this game are basically like that post about the tiny little male rabbit who was in love with his giant That is exactly girlfriend. right. <laughs> yes, exactly, yes. That is exactly okay. correct. Yes. I, was, that I is, was thinking... That meme has been going around this weekend. Like yes. a lot of... Uh, you know, My boyfriend goes to shows and likes to start shit with people in the pit and then when he's 5'7", <laughs> and then when they try to start shit back, he's like, hey, it's my birthday. I'm a little yeah, birthday boy. I'm a boy. birthday boy. I'm a birthday boy. <laughs> I'm just a little birthday boy. That's male uh, Vieira. That's, that's male Vieira. <laughs> um, real quick, I do want to shout out another uh, MMO that is is trying to do the A Realm Reborn thing, the 2.0 what if we fix our shit, which is uh, PSO2, Fantasy Star Online 2, New Genesis. A new Genesis? new Just New Genesis, I think. Um, which I would forgive anyone for not knowing what the fuck that is, because I think the messaging around it has been so weird. Uh, I think like last year, PSO2 um, their Sega released a trailer being like PSO2, new Genesis, it's like it's like we're doing some new shit. And even like, you know, some of the trailers after that, I think, didn't necessarily clarify it for a lot of people. And the name, I think, makes it really rough to understand what it is because it sounds like an expansion to Fantasy Star Online 2. Fantasy Star Online 2 came out forever ago at this point. I want to say like 2012, somewhere in there. Um, uh, and And... Um, that's actually right, 2012, uh, and has now been running for nine years, and that game is very old and very bloated and is a different thing than it was at launch, and it's very hard to get into, uh, which is a shame because it just came out in English last year. Um, and the new Genesis beta happened this weekend, uh, and I expected to load it up and, like, play what was basically still Fantasy Star Online 2. Um, and instead it's a new game. They made a new game. They made a different game. Uh, it is instead of being level based where you're on us, you're on a spaceship and you go up to a counter and you say, I'm going to take this quest. And then you jump in a teleporter and load into a level. It is a big open world action RPG, uh, where you like are doing double jumps and gliding like it's Zelda, like it's Breath of the Wild and are, you know, hitting certain fast, like loading uh, or collecting fast travel points and going down your skill tree and doing little mini dungeons that give you skill points. And those, those mini dungeons are like sh shrines from Breath of the Wild also, but like a little more combat or platforming focused, I guess. Um, uh, not as puzzly in my experience. Uh, and it's like, it looks really nice. It has that very PSO sheen, like everything is very bright like saturated colors, um, uh, kind of, you know, techno organic blended enemies and space fan, you know, science fantasy design. Uh, and I played a bunch of different classes and I had a good time with it. And that game's out in a month. And like, I, this has been totally slept on. No one, very few people I know have been like keeping up with it because it wasn't necessarily clear that it was going to be 
a new game that felt like an action RPG set in like Xenoblade Chronicles X's <laughs> like big. That, that's the vibe. The vibe is huge, distant mountain. It's it's you see that mountain, you can go to that mountain. And also the mountain is in the middle of like a big space fantasy jungle, you know, um, and you're like doing magic gun attacks and shit. Uh, it's it's I'm having a really good time with it. And uh, mm. I'm I'm pretty impressed with it. I mean, the, the beta is over now. Uh, but there's lots of footage out there. People can go look at that. And again, it's out in like sometime in June schedule. I bet that I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt that it slips um, uh, because there's no date yet. And it's mid-May. <laughs> um, but but I just want to just check in on that and, and let people know that that seems pretty cool. And people should go look up footage. I had this very weird experience of watching someone play it on Twitch um, and then being like, yeah, I think I want to play this. Let me start downloading it. And then going to YouTube, to, like watch a class video, like, uh, what are the various classes of this game and hit play? And it was one of the voices I had randomly been watching on Twitch, <laughs> just like the same voice being, and he like a very distinct voice. Do you know what I mean? And it was like, oh, wait, what? What? Yeah, I, I just heard. Ah, so there's clearly a, well, you know, an already established community who must have like played the Japanese beta of it and was ready to go, uh, with, with some, some good videos and stuff. So I don't know. People should check that out when it drops. Um, that, that game seems like it's going to be good. Uh, anyone else want to, want to shout out anything they've been playing? Hey, speaking of action RPGs, uh, Patrick, briefly, did you, are you, I saw you talk about Remnant. I'm a Remnant now. You're a Remnant now. Are you I enjoying am. it? Uh, yeah, no, I have like, like the PS5 version dropped. Is that what happened? Yeah, they put out a next gen update. Um, which I actually don't. I was switching between the performance and resolution modes. It did not. <laughs> nothing changed. It was <laughs> just always in the performance mode. Um, which is fine because I tend to end up playing in performance mode uh, versions anyway. Anyway, but, uh, yeah, yeah. This uh, this is a game that you know Remnant uh, from the Ashes. Uh, because the other one's like something else before the Ashes, right? Like the prequel I think it's game, Chronos. Something, something, something. Yeah. Ashes. Uh, anyway, it was it was a game that came out what twenty nineteen. I know yeah. you were a lot. A lot of people uh, were like, "Hey, supporter. you prob- you yeah. you like Souls games? What about like a Souls game with a gun? Uh, that seems all right." Uh, so you had not played it at all. At that no, point. no. Okay. For no reason, just kind of like kept slipping off the the docket, and then they added it to Game Pass, uh, and and they added the next gen update, and I was like, ah, you know, I'm you know, I was I've been under the weather for the last week and change, and. I like to play like Resident Evil 8 with like, my full attention late at night. And I oh, didn't yeah. really, I was always falling asleep by 930. So it just wasn't really happening. And so I was looking for something else to kind of putz around with. And yeah, like the short version is like, yeah, it seems, I I, I do wish I was probably playing this co-op. It's totally fine. Solo. Um, Have you know, any bosses yet? Because that's where you're going to really want co-op, I think. Yeah. It's, so I've played, uh, I don't know, there was like this boss where like I had to uh, uh, mash up. Like there were like these statues, and then I would hit them, and they would appear briefly. The shroud, I want to say that's like yeah, the, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did that one, uh, and then I did. Uh, well, I guess it wasn't really a boss. It was the one where you, you know the uh, mother uh, root or oh, something that's a, like that. That's sort of a boss, though. It's like a horse. It's just an endurance. You're just yeah. at like a bunch of yeah, okay. uh, enemies coming in. So, uh, I'm tr- well, I'm trying to get past. I, I know that you have mentioned that the first area of the game is awfully. You're there. You're like the next thing you do right. is the thing is like, the, like, well, I'm just like going through like the most generic, maybe New York city, but, but not uh post apocalypse. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, to the point that like, it's actually like deeply humorous to look at the quote unquote environmental storytelling, which is like, they just don't even bother. Like, it's just, you, it's just I, I went through a subway and there was a map and it was just like museum, <laughs> city hall, yes. uh, colored lines. The it's one, like, ah, oh, buddy. The one cool thing about about that area for me is the there's like the old dude in the plane 
uh, like yeah. chassis. And if you ta- if you you should go back and talk to him until he. Oh, runs I out did. Of shit. Okay, good. It, it, was, some- it, became, it became clear to me that like there's see so yeah you in, in, in the area where you're nearing the end of like you know hanging out in pseudo treat fill tree filled New York uh, is you you find this like downed plane and you hear what sounds like a like a radio station and then it kind of becomes clear that it's a like an, an older man kind of mumbling to himself and you, you go over there and you talk to him and he can sell you a couple of like generic uh like consumables you know increase your stamina yada yada but there's also this option that says like hey do you want to listen to me tell you a story like you know he's he's kind of positioned as your you know generic npc that's like (coughs) excuse me been around for a long time seen a lot but then he'll go on for maybe one or two lines and he goes ah you don't you know what you don't want to hear any of this shit from me anymore like you you know you're on an adventure like go do your thing and then you can hit a button that's like no, actually, I'd like. No, actually, old man, I'd like to hear a little more of what you have to say. And then he has two more lines or three more lines. It's like a, a little bit of storytelling about his his history here or like his family, yada yada. And then I became compelled, knowing that like writing in games is like a very labor intensive task. This stuff is all voice, yeah. and every time I seem to be hitting, tell me another story. The man has another <laughs> fucking story, and so it became a dare with myself. I was like, no game. <laughs> I'm, I actually don't want to go level up. I don't need any more perks. I don't want any loot dropping. I need to see when you will stare me down and stop giving me new lines from this cute man who is telling me stories <laughs> about his time and his pain uh, out here in the world. And yeah. it goes on for like, a, I don't know, five, ten minutes until That's finally long. he goes, uh, he's like, you know what? And it, like, there's like really you know poignant, sad line at the end where he's like, you know, I've been saving something for my son who went out into, you know, the wild and I keep thinking he's going to come back, but actually the family are the people that you make along the way. And I should just kind of embrace that in the the last years that I have. And the game treats it as though probably what you're supposed to do is like come back to this NPC a number of you know, times, multiple and- times and like get a little bit as you're coming to buy these consumables. And instead I've just spammed, like I've just like, you know, done the work of like cheating my way to level up a relationship with this NPC. And Social he's like, rank up, yeah. Yeah. And he's like, uh, actually we're family now. And I'm going to give you this family heirloom that is like a really good, like item you can equip it's a good like buff, a watch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like the thing a lo- is, like- if you have that with you, Patrick, there's a chance you'll get an event where you, you can come across his son. Oh, great. Uh, th- it might not happen because of the way that the world is generated, basically. It does like the Diablo style thing of like, um, there are rooms that can generate and like events that you can have, but also any particular run doesn't guarantee that you'll get them all. You know what right, I mean? Right, right, um, right, right. But if you meet them and you have that event or you have that item, the, that out that event can go differently, which is really cool. Ah, that's um, cool. So yeah, you're right, at, you're right at the point at which the world opens up a little bit and you get kind yeah. of the weird quake sci-fi space pyramid shit so good that's ready. that's that's what i'm looking for because well, like between that and I, like, I was like oh, i'll put remnant to the side wait for them to balance it and th- then now i just or, i guess returnal you or mean. returnal sorry yes. uh the other like, space pyramid game. the other space pyramid game yeah. uh but it sort of seems like now i just need to like go back to that game or i'll be waiting six months for them to like do yeah, I don't the think, big i don't think we're gonna get a big patch for a while in that game yeah i mean they did they did it they did an interview one of the designers did an interview over uh uh at, at, at axios i think and like they, they they said like hey you're working on stuff also we're working on save solutions but uh like if you're reading between the lines it was like that's not 
coming yeah. anytime soon. And the story I did exploring, you know, how you implement save solutions in a roguelike, every developer was like, yeah, if you didn't build for that while you're making the game, you know, that's that's like a whole thing. You can't just add that. So I, I do think that will probably still come. It'll just come with like whatever the expansion drop is, you know, sometime in the, the summer, fall. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm enjoying I'm enjoying Remnant. It does like having a, a Soulsly Soulsly type game with some good feeling guns. Soulsly is very Soulsly. I mean, well, I don't know that I. It's weird because like I know a lot of people made the Souls comparison, but I don't. I don't know. It, it feels way more just like an action RPG than it does. I mean, it has stamina. I mean, I, I get where people it has are stamina. Are from and it has, I mean, right. The whole thing there is like, what if you applied that stuff to a third? Like contrast it with something like Gears of War, which like does not. You're not juggling as much moment to moment. Yeah, no, you know that's that's mean? definitely true. And it, actually, the thing that I find uh, effortlessly charming about uh, the game is that I believe this is one of was it Gunfire Games. I believe is the, yes. the studio that made this. Like right. they are yeah. one of the spinoffs of uh, the Darksiders team. Correct. Um, and this game feels like it, it gives me all the same vibes I got when I played and fell in love with the first Darksiders game, huh. which is a studio that said, "Hey." I really like a style of this game. What if we kind of put our own spin on it and set it in the apocalypse and <laughs> Remnant from the Ashes is like, hey, I really like those Souls games. What if we put our spin on it, which is guns, and set it in the apocalypse? And it has, <laughs> it, it just feels, the, the moment I made that mental connection playing it, I was like, oh, like this really does feel like the same philosophy applied to yeah you know a, a, you know a souls game adjacent game um and and and, and then all the positive i really like really like that first dyke game i don't like much of what came after that but um yeah. it has that same sort of sort of vibe so uh, yeah I'm, I'm enjoying it and i'll have to i guess i'm playing on the wrong platform i'm playing on xbox so everyone else is all my friends are playing on playstation i think you played on pc there, didn't you i played on pc yeah yeah yeah, yeah there's, there's no, no there's play, no cross play right? so Boo. i'm gonna have to invoke Boo. the community to help me out if i <laughs> if i get stuck on some bosses yeah Rob, you look like you were also playing something you want to you want to shout out? Oh, uh, yeah. I decided this weekend I would get into The Evil Within 2. Yes, I saw this. <laughs> like, right as I went to bed. Right, I mean, I right as I went, quite literally, we, I watched a movie with my wife. We're crawling into bed, hoping our baby is not going to wake up with an ear infection. And I see this tweet as I'm brushing my teeth. And I say, yes, Rob is playing Evil Within 2, which is not on Game Pass, right? You had to seek this out elsewhere. You spend money on this game. Yeah, uh, well, I did, I did, and I didn't. I picked it up at some point on Steam. Oh, the dream. An indeterminate period of time ago. <laughs> that was a gift that past Rob bought for future Rob right there. <laughs> and uh, for one thing, got the, so there's a few things. I had, as you all know, I tried to make the evil within one work. You did. Yeah. You did your best. I'm here. I'm proud of you for moving on. It, yeah, I didn't. <laughs> Like I got to some of the first like really hard parts of that game, and I was like, I don't like what it's doing. I don't like how it looks like shit still um, on on Series X. Like it it doesn't doesn't look good, doesn't play good. Um, like it's like there's some com- compelling stuff about it, but it just it was not fun. So I was like, I'm done. But I always kind of wondered, and I know Patrick had been like, dude, you do not need to care about Evil yep. Within 1 to get to Just the goodness. Just move on. I was unprepared for the caution to the wind opening of Evil Within 2, where like literally, as far as they're concerned, you might as well be a new character. Like somebody walks into a bar, peels you out of a booth, and is like, we need you to go into... The, uh, the ether, the stem? Don't worry or, about it. Who it's gives fine. a shit? 
Point is. The Matrix. Yeah. And you go there and he's like, this better not be like Beacon. And they're like, don't worry. It won't be like Beacon. And that's it. That's all like Beacon's the mental the the mental health hospital where there's the setting for horror in the first game. None of that matters. They completely like run it through the shutter. Nobody cares. Um, And now what you're in is, yeah, you're just in Eldritch Matrix. But here's the thing that I was not prepared for. Um, How much it is like control, but the slider of scares is tuned really up and like the comedy is like tuned down and the emphasis on like this is more about a slower, more vulnerable type of combat whereas control is is superhero. It's a lot of stealth. And the stealth is really good and satisfying. And that like sneaking up and just a dude in the skull in that game is just oh endlessly good. Yeah, and it's it's critical because some of those enemies, like if you do not do the stealth damage to start to soften them up, um, they will just consume your ammo, bringing yeah. them down. Like the um the knife girls, um, who are very scary. Um <laughs> like the uh not quite like they remind me a bit of the witch in like Left 4 Dead. Um but yeah, like they will oh, if you don't yeah, get the stealth hit these on them. Ones. I had to look it up. I had to I was like, who? And then yes. Uh-huh. Can you link? Yeah, one second. Yeah. You keep um, talking, Rob. Yeah. Yeah, they like they are like they they will absorb the stealth damage and then they will come and just like they're like, uh we'll just you know, go ham on you with a, with this huge knife they're carrying. Um, and they will kill you in a couple hits uh, if if you don't, like, control the control distance and everything. And, yeah, like, creeping up on those things is so scary. Um, because the thing the game do- also does really well is the enemies do have predictable patterns, but they don't feel predictable. Like, in a lot of their motion, their field of view swings beyond, like, 90 degree arcs and so you will have these windows you have to hit to sneak up on them and you can predict them but even after you've gotten used to it creeping up on these enemies i'm like please don't turn around please don't turn around please just just keep just keep wailing sobbing at that you know at the the sky just let me come up behind you and 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 shiv you in the in in the skull uh because if you turn around i can't i can't handle it um but the fact that all this is being done in a nonlinear, like, open world or, like, a, a hub-type design is also really cool where it's, like, you'll be out in the world and you have the dynamism of just, like, oh, shit, do I hear do I hear something out there? Like, is there something, like, on the other side of this building? But then you also have the sense of, well, it's time to go into this building that's going to be really creepy and fucked up. Um, and, yeah, I'm just... Every like where, where the first game nothing felt good, everything in this game feels the, the, great. The, the combat layer in good. in yeah. this, I, I mean, I did everything in Evil. Like I, I'd be like through an area, I can see. All right, so that door is where I'm going. Yeah, I'm gonna turn around and I'm gonna like just keep looking through like whatever area up against I'm the in. walls of the of an open area, just making sure you don't miss anything. Yeah, it could, it's, well, it's just like every every combat counter was. I never got bored with, and I I generally don't really care for stealth games, but but you know this is one. You know what is it? Uh, uh it was Dia's like rule of stealth games. I was like the stealth game is only as good until the the combat starts. And like this game has excellent both. Like the stealth is is extremely forgiving, so you can kind of. Futs your way through it in, in a way that 
you know, it doesn't feel like you're cheating, but you do, you can kind of just like sneak up on, you know, fools and it'll work out. But then once combat breaks out, it's really satisfying, feels good. It's just, and it's scary, which is like the coolest thing about it. But not too scary, right? Like it's like, it's, it's, it's not quite Evil Dead, you know, or Evil Dead 2, like where it's like a little more B-movie-ish, but it's, it's in more, uh, a lot of the aesthetic is Hannibal, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it is definitely pulling directly from a lot of the same. This this game came out around the same time that Hannibal was airing. I don't know how directly those two are parallel, but they are definitely pulling from similar aesthetics, aesthetic buckets, and it just looks beautiful, plays great, and it like crushed me that the game like completely bombed and like prevented us from giving getting an evil within three because I just really liked what they were doing so much yeah. more in the second one. And I think the open world thing does present a solution to some of the problems of a really scary game, which is that the game gives you a path to relief and for you yes. to break it up into yeah, doses. Just run away. You're good. Yeah. Just and get out of there. You're almost dialing in. I said this when we last talked about this game, but I love the way that you almost dial in what sort of horror you want based on which side activity you go and do. If you, like, it's very, it can be very clear that like this is going to be an activity where I'm going to shoot a bunch of enemies versus I'm going to go into the weird second, the further in matrix and project myself into a spooky hospital where a large evil nurse monster is going to like patrol and potentially instant kill me. And I have to go find a key card to sneak away. And like, that's just a different type of horror experience, you know? Um, and, and the fact that it offers all of those things is really fun. Yeah. Like I've loved being able to um, like, I've been out in the world long enough. I've reconned a bunch of stuff. I've found resources and I'm like, Time to creep back to my safe house mm-hmm. and <laughs> really satisfying animation. Shut the door behind you, <laughs> lock it. You're all tucked in your little safe house. You go over to your coffee maker, you pour yourself a nice <laughs> cup of coffee, and like you're 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 healed, and then you upgrade your stats, you upgrade your weaponry, yeah. and then you're like, okay, what's the next leg of this I want to go out on? But it also allows for that crucial thing of Sometimes you'll go on a thing and it just keeps going and you're like, okay, now you're, you don't fully control the pacing of this. Now you are in it. And so like my first example of that was like the first time you go into the marrow, which is like this transit network within this projection. Um, And I ended up in, in this, this armory and this is where you get the shotgun. But like it was it was a creepy space, but it wasn't really populated by many enemies. And it was just like, it felt scary and vulnerable, but nothing really happened. But then you come to the end of it and it's like, well, here's your shotgun. And I was like, Oh no. And (laughs) there was no exit. There was no way out. And I was like, I got to go back through that. I got to go back through. And now everything was out. Everything was there. And I was like, I know exactly how much is left between me and the exit of this building. And then God knows what's going to be waiting for me on the other side when I get out of the marrow. Um, and so then it was like fun because I didn't control it. I couldn't break it up and do like it was auto saving, but the experience was still like, no, now you are now you are trapped in the haunted house and you have to go through it before you can before you can get back to safety. And the way this game balances those two modes is so good. Um, and I just I love it to pieces. Totally. I'm I'm glad that you've I'm glad that you've come to it, Rob. I'm very happy for you to having to be having this experience. It's an utterly charming game. Uh and But we're not gonna get a Threevil within. I I mean I I wouldn't like Threevil <laughs> goes west. <laughs> we don't I will say this, we don't know what that team is working on, right? So uh, Is that not the Ghostwire 
Tokyo no. team or whatever? No. Oh. No. Um, Interesting. Uh, and it's the same studio, right? I'm not. I'm not pulling same that studio. Out of, same studio, but they, they've okay. they've expanded. Like, and you know, Interesting. like part of the reason I think the second one succeeds is actually like Shinji Mikami stepped away. He was a creative director on the first one, and then moved into more of a managerial role and let some of the younger uh, staff um, kind of step up for the sequel. And I think mm-hmm. that like you see a lot of that in the sequel, and it's like really healthy for for where that sequel goes and you know, identifying like what was actually interesting about Evil Within. And, you know, and, and finding ways to, to work within that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'd be, well, I, I guess I, I would be shocked and not, like, it would be a perfect Game Pass game, right? Like, now that, like, like it is the kind of game, like, is this going to sell a bajillion copies? Would this have made sense for Zenimax Media to make even within three? No, but, you know, it would be, like, a big, like, fan favorite, like, low stakes, like, not that high budget game. It was, like, even within 2.5. And, like, I would <laughs> just, I would just eat it. Like, I'll... I'll like, like I'd be, I'd be happy with that. So I hope my, my, I don't, I don't have any inside information on it, but I, I, I want to, I want to invoke it into the world. I want Rob to, to contribute to the effort to, to get us a, an evil within three. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, all right. I feel like we've gone for a long time now. Does anyone else have any, uh, uh, final, final things? Destiny's still going. Okay. Kato. Yeah. Oh, it sounds like it's well, going uh, <laughs> Love to hear that. Uh, it's just mostly I'm in the grind right now because the new raid drops on Saturday. So, mm. well, new raid, old raid. Meet the new raid, same as the old same raid. Same as the old raid. Uh, this it's, is, it's this is Vault of Glass. Vault of Glass, which is the first Destiny raid from Destiny 1. And literally the reason I'm still playing Destiny. Cause it's, a good, it's a good raid. I had yeah. all but dropped Destiny 1 when I saw the like world's first race and like saw what raids could be in that game. That's the really, really sure. the only reason I kind of stayed. Because that opening campaign was really fucking rough. Um, but yeah, I'm yeah. very excited for that. Um, I might stream it. I don't know. I don't know. I, I I might not even hit it on this weekend, which is unfortunate because the grind Ooh. is harsh, uh, and I was not prepared. But you know, we'll see. We'll see how 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 hard I can hit those numbers. Get them get the numbers up into the right range. Gita, you've run Vault of Glass with Kato, right? Was that, is this I haven't true? done I miss- Vault of Glass with Kato. Have we did Vault of oh, Glass? Oh, you just Kato? do. You right? Y'all just did. Destiny we two stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was the, it was yeah. only the. So Destiny I have not run Vault. I haven't opened up the account yet. I'm nervous about all the changes even though Kato says they're all really good. Mm. <laughs> I'm just stuff is fun. <laughs> the, 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 the transmog is bad, but everything else is good. So. Yeah, the transmog really did take the wind out of my sails a little bit. Whereas like, it's just like, it's so easy to be beautiful in this other game I'm playing now, right? <laughs> now right. it's going to be much right. harder yeah. to be beautiful in <laughs> Destiny 2. Yeah. God. Well, Okay, I feel like, again, uh, I'm going to skip the question bucket because of how tired I am from having a long, intense conversation, and also because my login just stopped working on our Vice servers because yeah. I'm probably coming up on my, my like, IT needs to reapprove me uh, timeline. It's been six months. I feel like that's that's a That's longer than normal. Oh, yeah. That is, that is longer a, that than normal. That was a good long run. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, in any case, <laughs> thanks for joining us today, uh, everyone. Always, always good to have a full cast. You can send your questions for future episodes into gaming at vice.com. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash waypoint, waypoint.vice.com. Follow me on Twitter at Austin underscore Walker. Where can people find you, Gita? You can find me at XOXOGossipGita. Kato. 
at a underscore Cotto underscore appears. Rob at Rob Zachney. And Patrick at Patrick Lubbock. Uh, we'll be back later this week with more uh, stuff. Uh, who knows where? Who knows what the week holds? Uh, who who could fucking say? Uh, so look forward look forward to that. Um, uh, as always, thank you to, to uh, Bowen for letting us use the track "Miss You" off the EP "Pale Machine." Find out more about that at waypoint.zone slash boen. Um, and as always, fuck capitalism and, you know, fuck settler colonialism, especially today, too. Uh, uh, fuck all of all of it, honestly. Um, go home. Love and peace. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.